Coming up on a mysterious episode of Streamageddon, the many mysteries at Disney. There's the mystery of the disappearing channels for Charter and Spectrum cable customers. There's the mystery of the missing Marvel shows, delayed to 2024. And the mysterious decision to move the big Hulu acquisition from 2024 to kind of right now. There's also the mystery of Bob Iger's bathroom, apparently. All that plus our thoughts on the mystery-packed third season of Only Murders in the Building, a show that you can stream on Disney's Hulu. What a coincidence. Or is it? <laughs> Welcome back to Stream Again, the TV and streaming podcast that is just uh, investigating every mystery in the streaming universe. I am your Mabel Mora, Chris Barlow, joined uh, across the internet and across the East River. Uh, you know, you can choose. Would you prefer to be Charles? Uh, I don't know. Diane Nora, everybody. I think I might be an Oliver Putnam. I, You know, I knew it. I just wanted you to say it. I know it's flattery to say so, but I, I do see a kinship. I feel a kinship with him. Oh, beautiful. Uh, the flattery is flattery to Oliver Putnam, Diane, because Diane and I, experts as we are, will be talking about season three of Hulu's Only Murders in the Building a little later this episode. Uh, and if you are an Only Murders fan who hasn't quite watched the third season yet, wondering if it's worth your time, don't worry. We'll keep it spoiler light and tell you how the season is shaping up so far. But there are so many other things going on in the extended Disney universe. We have a just mountain of Disney headlines to get to, but we can't get there without starting uh, with, uh, first, a bit of long-term follow-up, Diane. I, I know you're a big fan of Quibi, as am I a big fan of Quibi. It's all I think about, Chris. I wake up in the middle of the night and I go, where are my Quibbies? <laughs> And if you didn't know, your Quibbies have been on the Roku channel because Roku purchased the Quibi content library. Uh, but bad news. Good news. I told you where the Quibbies are. Bad news. The Quibbies are going away. Or at least we think some of the Quibbies are going away because, unfortunately, Roku has announced a, their third round of layoffs in the past year. Uh, I, I believe a past year, yearabouts, and uh, this one is targeting original content, and that means, yes, Roku is joining the list of streamers that is purging content from their library, which really shows how far down the chain we've gone in the content purge. It does. It does. They are also doing some other cost-saving measures, which seemed really logical to me. They're getting rid of some office spaces, which I think, you know, as someone who lives in New York, you see that happening all the time right now, I think. Um, this is the result of uh, lower ad sales this quarter. Yeah, because the secret to Roku, if you never really uh, scratch at the surface, is that they are a giant advertising uh, company that makes a ton of money off of the ads inserted and inserted by other companies sometimes into the shows you're watching on the apps built into your Roku TV. It's such a complicated but also dead simple business model in some ways. The confusing part to me personally is the existence of the Roku channel because that that is not super necessary but I, it is a hedge against what if people stop buying Roku TVs even though I literally cannot find a TV that's not a Roku TV when I try to buy one. Uh, so here in this case it looks like, based on what they're saying, they're going to purge the shows that are not performing very well, specifically from their originals catalog, and the suspicion is that probably means a bunch of the Quibi content that's no longer attracting new viewers. Makes sense. I mean, it does seem smart from a business perspective, yeah, it, particularly when all their competitors are making the same move. Yeah, it's it's hard to fault them after uh, a string of others. Disappointing nonetheless. But don't worry, if you're a fan of Chrissy's Court, I hear they've renewed it. And that's uh -huh. the renewed and canceled for this week because we have so much more news to get to, beginning with, uh, I think, a necessary quick update on a, a just variety of strike-related headlines. And I, I am just going to run through these. Diane, tell me uh, all of your thoughts immediately as soon as I say, 
SAG-AFTRA is seeking to authorize to strike against the video game companies now, too, courtesy of the AV Club. Good. Yes. Solidarity. Fantastic. Uh, that is ahead of negotiations with the game studios that resume on September 26th. That is, uh, just to be clear, they are not striking uh, in addition to their current strike, but they are seeking the authorization, which is step one as you enter the negotiations. Speaking of things that are dragging on with the strike, Warner Brothers TV has suspended many of their high-profile development deals. Uh, this is something that uh, has happened to some major development deals. These are development deals with specific uh, kind of celebrity creators. So in the case of Warner Brothers, that's people like Greg Berlanti, who makes uh, the Arrowverse shows on the CW, or the former CW, rest in peace. Uh, Bill Lawrence, Mindy Kaling, J.J. Abrams. Uh, noted that Chuck Lorre's deal was already suspended, sure, uh, he's good, uh, but I, I do wonder, is this a sign of um, a strike that will go on for a very, very long time? It could be. I could also see this as being something tactical, as in, you know, they're trying to say, look, we don't need this strike to end anytime soon. We're in a position of power, which I'm I'm not fully convinced they are. Me, I'm not sure. Me neither. And and I, I do feel like some more headlines we're going to talk about, especially when we get to Disney, opens up that question of do do the studios think they have the the strong hand in this game of poker? Uh, and I, I don't think they, they do have a good hand, but they seem to be acting like they have a, a flush, so to speak. That's my poker terms for you. I don't know if they have a strong hand, but I do believe they have more chips to run with Ooh. that metaphor. Ooh, good metaphor. Speaking of a company that has a lot of chips uh, in the financial sense and, <laughs> and the literal sense, because they have a lot of servers, Amazon, I, I just think when I think of these celebrity um, uh, development deals, I think of Amazon, who has mm. just written just tons of blank checks to people like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who is insanely talented, but has delivered zero new shows for Amazon for all the money they've paid her, or the Russo brothers, who made Citadel. And need I say more, if you've listened to this podcast, you know how we feel about Citadel. But if you're new to the podcast, welcome. I love you. And um, don't watch Citadel. You could skip that one. You could. You could. A show that somehow made some of the most attractive people on the face of the earth, including Stanley Tucci, hard to watch. Just watch Fleabag again. There you go. There you go. But moving on, like I said, just hammering through the strike news. Uh, there's a show on Netflix that is a huge hit right now based on a, a popular manga, uh, One Piece. I have not watched One Piece yet, but it is high on my list because it, it the fact that it's broken through uh, is exciting because it means that it's not just a anime manga fan show. It is, it is hitting a, a live action success. It's a live action adaptation. Uh, and previous attempts at Netflix doing kind of high concept live action and adaptations of Japanese source material did not go as well as One Piece seems to be going. But I bring up One Piece because One Piece's creators dropped a, a little comment to say season two has already been written. The scripts are ready and we could see season two of One Piece as soon as 12 to 18 months after the strike ends. The SAG-AFTRA strike specifically in that case, I think. But that is a show that has already finished writing season two. And they're saying, yeah, even then, you won't see it for a year. That's a while. That's really... That also makes me question the studio's hand. Ah, this is the hottest show on Netflix right now. Netflix is dying for me to watch this whenever I open the app. And, and they can't... They, they cannot deliver new episodes for over a year. Uh, thank goodness for reruns. Thank goodness indeed. You know a show that has a lot of reruns? The Walking Dead, made by a little company called AMC. And AMC, uh, this just file this under fun facts to whip out at brunch. AMC, for some reason, not a member of the AMPTP, AMC is continuing to produce content. And AMC has gotten a waiver from SAG-AFTRA to continue filming uh, Interview with a Vampire, which we've talked about in the past, and Fear the Walking Dead, uh, or, or some of the other Walking Dead shows. I'm going to be honest, there are so many Walking Dead shows right now, I don't even know which ones are current 
current or ended or future, but regardless, you can see some zombies soon and some vampires, and those will continue to roll out as the uh, strike drought hits us in 2024. I mean, I love this news in the sense that that means some folks are working and a lot of people need to be working right now. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And the SAG-AFTRA unions, uh, they would argue that this is a good move because uh, AMC is agreeing to the interim agreement and showing the studios that this is not an unrealistic ask. Right. This, this is great. Speaking of AMC, maybe you don't have cable anymore. Maybe you're not a subscriber to AMC Plus, and I would not blame you. That is pretty on the fringes of uh, subscription streaming services. Sorry, AMC. But don't worry. If you have Max, you can watch some of the fine shows from AMC free through the end of October. Those include series like uh, Interview with Vampire Season 1. Good timing for that. Fear the Walking... It's so good. It, it, it is. It is. Uh, Fear the Walking Dead. And, you know, some other things that air on AMC. Though I would note, not the current Walking Dead series that are rolling out right now. Uh, one of them is set in New York City, and one of them is set in Paris, and that is, we've entered the kind of like travelogue version of the Walking Dead cinematic universe. Those will not be part of the streaming deal with Max. You have to find AMC out and pay the money yourself if you want those. But honestly, why don't you just start with a, a little dash of vampires and zombies and see where it takes you? They're very handsome vampires. Oh, oh, they are. And speaking of a handsome vampire, Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. How's that for a transition? Uh, I, I wanted to end our strike news roundup uh, with this kind of bombshell article in the Rolling Stone. Uh, as we record, this would be last week this came out. And, uh, or as you listen to it, we recorded early. Spoiler alert. Uh, Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, in, in the news in Rolling Stone under a headline, Chaos Comedy and, quote, Crying Rooms. And I bring this up both because it is a buzzy article that is getting a lot of attention right now, uh, but also in the course of reporting this, Rolling Stone reached out to many former producers and employees, obviously, of The Tonight Show, but also NBC itself. And NBC gave back a statement that, you know, generically defended The Tonight Show as a workplace. In no way... Did NBC even mention Jimmy Fallon by name? And I thought mm. this was interesting in, in the context of the strike because you have late night in probably the most upheaval of a generation, to say the least. Uh, the Daily Show has been hostless since Trevor Noah left pretty unexpectedly last year. And they were they were doing something to try to find a host and rejuvenate the show with some new blood in the when the strike shut it down. They're, they're in a real vulnerable place uh, as an institution of late night, let's say. And similarly, on CBS, The Late Late Show lost James Corden, great, but also at a really bad time where what is the future of that show? So you have two major late night shows in limbo. You also have Jimmy Fallon, I'm sorry, the other Jimmy, Kimmel, getting up there in age. I love him, but I cannot imagine him wanting to do that show forever. And there isn't really an heir apparent for that slot. I just think when we come back from the strike... Late night is not going to be in the same place it was before. And I do, I do think it'll be in a diminished place. I agree. I also think, you know, so many shows like we've talked a lot about Abbott Elementary and how, you know, this this fall, ABC can still show episodes of Abbott Elementary. Showing old episodes of Late Night doesn't really work in this strike period because it's so topical. And I think there are a lot of people who had a habit of watching late night shows, and this prolonged strike is breaking that habit for some of them. Maybe not all of them. There'll be plenty of viewers who will be very happy to come back. And I know there's enormous talent on these shows. But uh, at the same point, I do think I agree with your assessment diminished across the board for all the networks. I know. A bummer. A bummer. But that's okay. It's news. And if you're deep into the late night weeds or just want to kind of, uh, let's say, dig into the Jimmy Fallon verse... 
God bless you. Uh, the article from Rolling Stone in the show notes, and it is a, a dark but interesting read, especially in the context of toxic workplaces in TV, which has been coming up mm. more and more through the strikes. Yes. But enough about everything going on in the strike verse, uh, the extended strike cinematic universe, a place familiar to Disney. And I want to talk about Disney for the majority, actually, of this episode, uh, Diane. I, I think you do, too. Uh, I, I, let's get the strike-related part of this out of the way. Disney announced uh, delays to basically every Marvel show that's not Loki. Loki's still coming in October, but all the other Marvel shows on their slate have been pushed back, including the Hawkeye spinoff Echo, originally slated for November, now uh, coming in January. The Agatha a show, a spinoff of WandaVision. WandaVision, the first Marvel show. So the idea that we're still waiting on Agatha is is beginning to feel like, oh yeah, I remember caring about that. I, I love Catherine Hahn, but like, boy, the moment of being excited about that ended a year ago for me. And now they've delayed that show into late 2024, even though, according to the AV Club, uh, the show has already been filmed. Filming is done. They, the strikes are not theoretically holding it up unless they need to do rewrites or reshoots. Which it sounds like that must be the case, Maybe. right? Otherwise, the other thing that I could see this possibly being is I think that there is a strategy that pairs these shows with getting people excited about something happening in the movies. So if whatever it's connected to or supposed to garner enthusiasm for uh, is also delayed, I could see that being an issue, perhaps. I agree. And also, you could not have done a better job of describing the Marvel fatigue syndrome to me. Like, mm. oh, my God, if that's what's holding up Agatha's show, I don't even want to watch Agatha's show because it means it, it means the show is not about the show. It's about setting up some stupid movie I don't care about because I'm sick of it. I am sick of it. And I want to see the Marvels if they don't delay it. I mean, I'll see it if they delay it, but but it is the the symptom of the disease if that's why they're delaying it. I do, I completely agree. Ah, that hurts. That hurts. Uh, the other thing being delayed, one that I completely forgot about, then got excited about, then got upset because it's delayed, X-Men 97, which is a reboot of the 90s-style X-Men cartoon that I remember as a child. And that is just nostalgia bait. And I don't know why you're making me wait longer. That's cruel, Disney. Cruel. But it's not the worst. That's coming in early 2024 now. Oh, yeah. I check that out. Me too. There, there is something. I can hear the X-Men cartoon theme music in my head as I talk mm -hmm. about it. And I just want the experience of, like, having some popcorn and watching that. Sounds wonderful. You know what else sounds wonderful to me? Hulu. I love Hulu. Do you love Hulu? I love Hulu. Hulu's one of my favorite streamers. We've talked about that repeatedly on this show. We just have unabashed love for Hulu. And you know who else has a lot of love for Hulu? Comcast CEO Brian Roberts, because he is about to extract so many billions of dollars from Disney in order to complete the Disney acquisition of Hulu. And for some reason, this deadline that we have talked about so many times and has been looming in 2024 for ages since uh, Disney, for the record, took kind of majority control of Hulu in 2019. And so Disney has basically been running Hulu since 2019 with a built-in clause that says in 2024, uh, Comcast can sell the remaining third of Hulu to Disney. That's just been looming, waiting. And it's soon. It's it's early, like January 2024, they could begin the, the process. And instead, they announced kind of randomly, kind of at the strangest time I could imagine, given there are two strikes going on, that they're going to move that deadline up uh, to begin the process to September 30th, and they're going to start negotiating the Hulu transaction pretty much immediately. Does this just mean that Comcast decided they want the money sooner? Is it that Comcast guess. is worried about like the the fall and saying we need we need this influx? I don't know. I also think I mean Iker's up to something. 
I don't know what, but I, I do, I'm sure this is behind part of a bigger strategic strategy. Strategic strategy? Jeez. Uh, yeah. I'm sure this is part of a bigger strategy. There's a lot of strategery behind this. I agree. Uh, and I don't understand what it is because I cannot get over the fact that we are now having, uh, d you know, headlines in all the major trade publications about the 30 plus billion dollar valuation of Hulu uh, that Brian Roberts wants. Brian Roberts is basically saying 30 billion is the, the bare bones minimum and we think Hulu is worth more. That's number one. And Disney, for the record, wants to pay as little as possible. The minimum that could be paid for Hulu is $27.5 billion, according to a hypothetical calculation they set when they, like, arranged this deal in 2019. Uh, but Brian Roberts says uh, he thinks the synergies around Hulu are worth at least $30 billion before you price out the actual content itself as part of the transaction, which means he, he wants more than $30 billion. $30 billion to complete the acquisition of a thing Disney already basically owns at a time when Disney is saying, we don't have the money to pay the creators and the actors and the VFX artists more money. I, I struggle to understand the strategy involved. That, that is a fair point. I mean, I guess I just never believed the we don't have the money argument. So Sure, maybe uh, it's them admitting everyone but, knows that's bullshit. Why don't we just go ahead and do our thing? Could this be part of like a, a some plan with their interest in selling off some of the channels as well? Like maybe they're looking for a minority partner for ESPN and Hulu. Maybe, but that's so confusing. And as we've uh, talked about before, Comcast, owner of NBC Universal, has NBC Sports. They have a whole sports package and brand. They have their own thing with Peacock that they're still really trying to make happen. I, I don't see how they benefit from acquiring or investing in any of Disney's other elements. Oh, sorry. I wasn't suggesting that Comcast would be. That if Disney was partnering with someone else. Oh, sure. But that it is still confusing that Brian Roberts is the person uh, from Comcast coming forward and saying, we've moved up this deal. We think that, I, I think it's the opposite. I think that it's Comcast smells blood in the water and it has decided we have the power to push up this deadline. And we think Disney is in a weaker position now than they will be after the strike ends in 2024. Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah, kneecap them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of uh, concern and sympathy for Disney shareholders right now. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Not wrong. And, uh, and you know, we're going to talk more about Bob Iger in particular a little later in this Disney segment. We're going to get to a little bit of, what's that, Bob? But we're not there yet because I wanted to take a moment to talk about the other big cable-related dispute. Comcast, of course, an enormous cable company that happens to own Universal, which owns NBC. They all own, and Shinehard Wig Company is in there too, I promise you. Uh, cable Town owns it all. And so Comcast is in an interesting place where they have two relationships with Disney in this scenario. They are a, a conduit that Disney you know, provides content to Comcast customers, Xfinity customers like my parents, they get ABC and ESPN and the Disney Channel and Freeform and FX and FXX and all those networks. They get them through their cable package. And of course, that means Comcast uh, pays Disney money. Comcast is a customer of Disney in that way. But Comcast also has their own entire media conglomerate under the Universal and NBC umbrella that are competitors to Disney. And in that way, Comcast has a, a kind of a two different directions that they can pursue simultaneously. Compare that to Charter Communications, owner of our local cable conglomerate Spectrum. If you live in some neighborhoods of New York, it's your only choice. Same true in L.A., so this is a story that is hitting the industry hard because everyone in the industry lives in New York and L.A., and they're really annoyed that you cannot watch Disney channels, not just the Disney channel, but the Disney channel, ABC, ESPN, 1 through Ocho, uh, Freeform, FX, FXX, you can't watch any of them on Spectrum or on Charter right now because of an 
an old school carriage dispute between Disney and Charter. That's a dispute where the contract to carry Disney's channels on Charter is up for renegotiation, and Charter says they want better terms than Disney's offering. And Disney says, well, no, we're going to withhold our content until you agree to our terms. And these things happen. You might have watched cable TV in the past and seen a banner at the bottom that says, you know, your cable company wants to get rid of Coffin Flop or, or whatever show, Corn Cob TV. Uh, call Spectrum today and tell them you want Corn Cob TV. This one is a little different because the argument from Charter is not really that we want more money. The argument from Charter is we charter the cable companies we pay you, Disney, billions of dollars. And then you take the billions of dollars and you use it to prop up Disney Plus and Hulu and coming soon over the top ESPN, potentially. And that is actively undermining our cable business. So we are not interested in paying you money that you use to, to sabotage us, basically. And so Charter has said they want two things. And I think this is fascinating. And d admittedly, we are pre-recording. And if they come to an agreement in the next week, I will cut in and I will tell you after we make some predictions. But first, I want to know, Diane, a little episode of TV Tarot. In honor, of course, of the 30th anniversary of The X-Files, we're playing TV Tarot, where we predict the future of television, in this case, the television industry. And Diane, what I want to know is, do you think one or both of these demands from Charter will come to pass? They are, number one, Charter wants Disney to unbundle ESPN and some of the other high-priced networks from the entire cable package so that Charter can sell, you know, potentially someone like me, a Spectrum customer, a skinny bundle, a cable bundle that does not include expensive channels like ESPN. Disney refuses that. ESPN is their cash cow, mandatory in the cable bundle at the moment, and Charter wants them to pick it out. So that uh, I, for example, can choose to pay less and not have to give Disney money for ESPN, which I don't want. Or, and or, number two, Charter wants Disney to include the streaming subs in the carriage fee, essentially. Not that kind of situation where your cable company pays Disney and gives you a year of Disney Plus and then it ends and you're annoyed. No, Charter wants Disney to say, yeah, and the cable package includes Disney Plus and we Disney are eating the cost for that, essentially. Do you think either of those are ever going to come to pass? While I do think that Charter's uh, complaint is more than reasonable. I, I think that they've accurately assessed the situation. I do not think that they're going to get what they want here. Um, I don't either. That's my prediction yeah. as well. Yeah, unfortunately. And I think that their their timing here was effective in the sense that, you know, like it's happening during the U.S. Open. But uh, and I think the NFL season is about to hit. I mean, there is a lot. I have heard people in just my ordinary life, because in New York, you are often, especially in Manhattan specifically, you are, are captive to Spectrum if you want cable. And if you love sports, you have cable. And if you can't switch to another cable provider and you have Spectrum right now, you can't watch your sports. I am confused by the strategy, though, to break off ESPN because I get why it is expensive. But also ESPN is like one of the last things in cable that's making cable valuable at all. I would come with an, a hypothetical, because admittedly, I have not given them my money for this. But hypothetically, Spectrum, who does provide my internet, because again, only game in town, monopoly situation in so much of the U.S., uh, they constantly send me mailers for like ridiculously cheap-sounding cable packages, and all of them involve promotional pricing that ends after a year. There's so many mm -hmm. gotchas. But they really want to find a way to say to someone like me, hey, we know you want to watch things. Of course you want to watch things. We are an affordable way to watch lots of things, and you already have us, so we can bundle it with your internet. 
And I, I'm, I am susceptible to this argument of if you included enough of the base channels that I just want to be able to turn on sometimes, but at a price that felt like it was less than cable, that I wasn't paying for a cable package because they're so expensive. You could, you could get me around to it. And what do I not care about? I don't care about sports. And honestly, if you came to me and said, you can only have one news network, pick the one, I'd be like, sure, I'll pick only one. I don't need the whole variety of those quote unquote mandatory channels that have been propping up the bundle. And so I, I, Charter is right in that I, I am a customer for that. There are customers for that. I just struggle to see Disney agreeing to ever do it. I have some evidence that is purely anecdotal. And so therefore you really can't extrapolate from it, but I will and say that I was talking to one of my coworkers the day that this first happened, or I guess the, the next day, because I, I was home watching it live. And um, the next day my coworker was on the phone with Spectrum waiting for more than an hour to try and cancel their cable service and the reason that the phone lines were so long is because everyone was canceling their cable service i mean i i I think this is a win for disney i i think that there are some people like you who would take this skinnier bundle but i really think that there are more espn fans yeah and to be clear i would hypothetically take it would i sign up for it if you handed it to me tomorrow i don't know Maybe I'd look at it. I'd think about it. I'd talk about it on this podcast. But at the end of the day, the number of people who would follow through on that, I wonder if the tide has already turned too hard against the cable companies. They are so late to the game with this, what they should have been offering eight, ten years ago. Agreed. And also now there are good alternatives. You could think, hey, maybe I'll get Spectrum or you could think I can use my Spectrum Wi-Fi and get YouTube TV. Well, you know, speaking of good alternatives, Disney would love to tell you about Hulu with live TV. I was watching Only Murders in the Building today, and I saw no less than three ads for Hulu with live TV. And do you want to know what the theme of all three ads was? Hulu has live sports. Hmm. Oh, brother. Mm. Uh-huh. And the thing is, Disney did not create this carriage dispute with a charter. Certainly, they are very much implicated and a party to it. They could settle it if they wanted to. But charter is the one making these unusual demands, let's say. That's not a typical carriage dispute. And Disney is in a position where it could work out unexpectedly in their favor. And to that point, we have an article from Deadline in the show notes that says... Disney says Charter Dispute is driving a 60% increase in Hulu Plus Live TV subscriptions. <laughs> oh, that's, that's rough. Yeah. I mean, I, rough for Charter. <laughs> rough for Charter. Not, not rough. rough for Disney. I've heard other people talk about getting YouTube TV, like you mentioned as well, just to get the U.S. open or to get sports uh, in the short term while they wait to see what happens. But at the end of the day, I do think Disney is... Of these two parties, Disney is the one that can hold out longer. And that would have been unthinkable five, ten years ago. But at this point, the cable bundle is so weakened that there is too much upside in pursuing your own agenda if you are a juggernaut like Disney. If you have the sway to say, not just do we have the content, not just do we have the channels, we own Hulu with live TV, a complete competitor to you. So so we don't have to tell our customers, sorry, you can't have ESPN or ABC. We tell our customers, sorry that your cable company sucks. You can get ESPN and live TV with Hulu with live TV. It has sports, have you heard? I just don't see how long term Charter has a, like a dog in this fight. But I do think that they were backed into a corner in a lot of ways. And so this was the the uh, the only thing that they could do. Um, you know, it was it was a bold move. Props for that. Yeah. I, you know, again, I'm like on team charter in some ways here. Weird to to be a big fan of my cable company right now. But I, I, I agree with everything they're arguing. And I think Disney will never, ever eat the cost of giving cable subscribers their streaming services. So that's just a non-starter. That would just be a money suck. And maybe, maybe if they're desperate, 
Disney will let you unbundle ESPN in some extremely specific scenarios. Maybe. That is the only one of those two that I think could possibly reach something close to what Charter's asking for. But even then, I, I don't think Charter has the, the chips. They don't have the chips, Diane. No, and chips are delicious. Yes, listener, if you're hearing that jazzy music, I am here with breaking news. Yes, it's the breaking news jazzathon. I'll keep it short because guess what? We already have the results of this very special industry edition of TV Tarot. And, uh, well, I'm going to just say I was not correct, folks, because Disney and Charter reached a deal on Monday morning ahead of the season premiere of ESPN Monday Night Football. And guess what? Disney is going to give Charter customers a way to get Disney Plus, the ad-supported tier, as part of Spectrum TV Select packages. Uh, people with Spectrum TV Select Plus packages will get ESPN Plus, but nobody really knows what either of those things are. Uh, the big news to me is that, quote, the highly anticipated ESPN streaming service will be made available to Spectrum TV Select subscribers when it launches. Uh, that comes courtesy of CNBC, which broke the news today. So TLDR folks, the cable bundle remains mostly intact. Charter did not convince Disney to let them peel it away. A Charter did convince Disney to let Charter say goodbye to such networks as Disney Junior and FXX. That second X is going to hurt, folks, but I digress. We'll have time to talk about more of that later. The TLDR is here in New York, LA, and elsewhere. You can watch your Disney channels again. And guess what that means? We got chips. We got all the chips. And we got more news about Disney coming at you right now in the past. I love some chips. I bet there are a lot of chips in Bob Iger's office. Which brings us to the end of our Disney journey this week. I want to talk about an extremely weird article in CNBC.com. First of all, that this article is in CNBC.com. Second of all, this article is uh, called Disney's Wildest Ride, Iger, Chapek, and the Making of an Epic Succession Mess. And maybe this is just me in withdrawal from HBO Succession looking for some good succession drama with extremely silly plot points and details, but this has it all. And and the one I want to start with is Bob Iger's bathroom. Diane, did you read about Bob Iger's bathroom? I did. This was a fun article. <laughs> it reminded me of the book reporting about Chris Licht in which I like couldn't turn away, but also was just... Uh, cringing the entire time you know this is in case you're forgetting uh bob Iger, longtime ceo of disney uh, picked his successor bob chapek the second bob and bob chapek kind of flailed around a bit it was a hard time for bob chapek he, he was ceo when a pandemic happened in america the world Hard times to be CEO of Disney, but Bob Chapek did not weather that storm well and was ousted and replaced by the OG Bob, Bob Iger. And this article in CNBC.com really charts some of the more juicy, dramatic, uh, Shakespearean backstage drama because it turns out Bob Iger never left. Bob Iger was there just being a nuisance the entire time. And in fact, it's been Disney's, Bob's Disney, Disney's Bob. It's Disney's Bob and it's Bob's Disney. And it's been that through this whole ordeal, uh, emphasized, uh, underscored for me, let's say, by the story of Bob's bathroom, Bob Iger's bathroom, because uh, Bob the First had the best office in the building. And the best office in the building came with the best bathroom in the building. It was a private bathroom that included a shower that Bob Iger would use to, uh, you know, shower after working out in the morning. And then if he worked a long day and had to go to a function in the evening, he would take a second shower. And he bragged to Bob Chapek about his two shower days. And then when he promoted Bob Chapek, he said, oh, no, I'm still chairman, so I'm going to keep the best office in the building. And you can have a different office that does not have any of those things. Enjoy. Uh, we should have seen it coming. <laughs> it's both nothing and it is such a perfect, like, 
just nugget of what happened. Of you're like, oh, of course, he never left. He was absolutely in charge the entire time and just undermining Bob Chapek at every turn and then complaining that Bob Chapek wasn't very effective. Oh, who knew? You might think Bob Iger's two shower days. That is the curious detail about his office bathroom. No, it's not. That's not even. <laughs> Diane, do you, do you want to describe the poster? I think you're talking about the poster. There are two posters. One was like a collage, and I'm really hoping he made it himself. Um, that was clips about Disney's acquisition of Marvel in 2009. Um, and the second one, wait, I have to get the title of it right. It's, it's it, uh, the Iger Sanction, a Clint Eastwood movie, and Iger <laughs> is spelled E-I-G-E-R in the title of this movie. So there is a poster for the movie, the Iger Sanction, but he has a version that has been um, adapted to be the I-G-E-E-R, the Iger Sanction. Good for good for you, Bob. Do you know what the Iger Sanction is about? Uh, well, <laughs> I do. I mean, in many ways, it's a it's a Hollywood cliche. The uh, the assassin who comes back for one last hit job. That's the Iger Sanction, and here we are all being sanctioned by Iger, back for one last job. I mean, was uh, Chapek his final kill? I don't know, because... uh... There's still time. Listen, Kathleen Kennedy at at Star Wars, look out. There's still time for a final job for the Iger sanction. Oh, I'd say by the end of whatever is happening at Disney, we'll see a few executives leave. I think so, too. I think so, too. I will not TV tarot it today because we've had enough of the mysteries at Disney. Such a mysterious house of mouse happens to own Hulu, happens to be a place where we watched another mysterious show. And this is time, yes, to talk about season three of a delightful comedy called Only Murders in the Building. As I said uh, at the beginning of the episode, light spoilers for season three. We are going to talk about uh, the pacing of the season, for sure. We're going to talk about the core mystery of the season, who killed Redacted. This is still your chance to bail. But at the end of the day, it's a show about murder, so we're going to give away some things. And we're going to try to make it enticing for you if you're uh, on the fence. Uh, Would you agree, Diane? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Of course, Only Murders in the Building, a Hulu sensation starring Martin Short, Steve Martin, and Selena Gomez. It is it is hard for me to remember how unusual they felt as a group when the show first premiered. But it I do think it's worth remembering, when this show first came out, I thought, this will suck. Really? Be, yeah, I-, I did. I wanted it to be good, but I thought, no, this collaboration doesn't make sense to me. And I'm thrilled to say I was wrong. But honestly, like, hard sell at the outset of how do these things fit together in a little murder mystery show with that little delightful jaunty theme song. Hard sell out the gate. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I had my doubts as well. I think that I came into it both a fan of Martin Short and Steve Martin, of course, but also as a Selena Gomez fan, so I was sold. Which I don't know. Were you a, a well, Selena you know, stand? To be fair, not a Selena stand coming in. It it struck me as a weird uh, injection of youth into this, and that I didn't understand how these people would click together. And of course, that's the charm of the show is that they do and they don't at the same time, and that is why they make an interesting, you know, trio. I did like her a lot, but I didn't know how funny she was. And I do find her deadpan performance on this show really charming and funny. Yeah, and actually, I'm glad you highlight uh, her performance. And deadpan is the perfect uh, descriptor for it. Because what she brings and what I think I was concerned about uh, watching the initial episodes of season one is her deadpan tone is so different from the established Steve Martin, Martin Short, you know, repartee that they instantly fall into, even when they try to resist it. 
And the fact that she she brings something that's contrasting but fits has been I, honestly, to me, the biggest strength of the show. I'm not sure it would deserve a season three if it was just Steve Martin and Martin Short investigating murders on the Upper West Side. Like, cute, but I'm not sure it would have the juice without Selena Gomez bringing that other element. Ooh, interesting. I mean, I would watch them do almost anything. Oh, I'm going to be honest. I would, but, but I, I, I'm not sure it would... I'm not sure it would justify a series, whereas like sure. the Martin Short and Steve Martin version sounds like a great like 1991 Steve Martin movie. Yeah, yeah, I would love it. it. I would I would own the screenplay and a binder bought you know on the Lower East Side somewhere. I absolutely <laughs> would stand that movie, but it wouldn't be the show that has made it to a third season. And I I, I think as we are now six episodes into season three. I think it's earned a third season. I think it's pulling it off. I agree. Yeah, I had my doubts at the beginning of the season. Um, It started a little slower than the others for me, I think. Or maybe I'm having a bit of TV amnesia because I love how this show builds. Um, I love how the mystery of the show builds um, season to season. So I think that... What really works for me are having these three characters together. Uh, And I didn't have that many scenes of that. They were off doing their own things. And I was like, no, you have to solve it together. Yeah, and it is truly taken, the pacing spoiler here, but it's taken six episodes for them to finally hit that point. And I, I am thrilled, we uh, were talking about this before we started recording, that we waited until six episodes in because uh, each season has taken a little while to establish the mystery, to kind of introduce the cast of characters who are the suspects, who are the friends, who are the people who might be, you know, MacGuffins or red herrings. Um, but this season has maybe taken the longest and has had the, you, you've had to put your faith in, I think they're going to come together again. And in episode six, they do. And in what I think is a smart move for the show, they come back together and it doesn't necessarily go well. And now the trio is in jeopardy, which is exactly what I think they need three seasons in. But but it took a while to get there. It did. And uh, I'm so glad that we're back, though. Me too. This, this most recent episode was so enjoyable. And I do have to say for the previous five, I still enjoyed myself. I still laughed every episode. There were still moments of poignancy. I love the way that this show balances, you know, a sort of sentimental moments with the more um, like silly comedy of it uh, and a genuinely exciting to solve mystery. Uh, I think that it hits that tone really well and then can swap from like screwball comedy back to, uh, you know, genuine emotional, compelling drama. It's, it's, It's kind of lovely the way it does that. Yeah, I think that's always been a strength of the show. And this season has it maybe a little more in each episode. Uh, What comes to mind for me is Steve Martin in particular. In the first two seasons, I felt like they they gave him a lot of funny moments, but they reserved the kind of physical slapstick Steve Martin humor for very pointed kind of climactic scenes towards the ends of the seasons. And this season has been a lot more liberal in giving us some real wacky physical humor from Steve Martin, which is a delight in some ways, but is also uh, tweaks the tone a little bit. And it was very reassuring to me that in the sixth episode, uh, we got both some slapstick physical comedy from him and some deep emotional heft to the arc he's been on this season, which has been legit. He's been on a legitimately emotional, kind of sad character arc. And it's been obscured a bit in the busyness and the separate uh, storylines. And when they finally brought them all together in episode six, I felt like we both got we got the best of both worlds uh, from his performance because we got to see a ridiculous kind of... Um, solo physical uh, plot line where he is locked in a storage closet that's also a bathroom and he has a fish he's taking care of and he puts the fish in the toilet and as soon as he puts the fish in the toilet you know what's going to happen he's gonna Mm. flush that toilet of course yes 
Of but, course. But the fish represents something deep and emotional at the same time. And when he's able to unburden that on his fellow you know, uh, investigators on his buds, it, it it's very satisfying. And it linked together these kind of disparate pieces in a way that, you know, uh, required some patience, not going to lie, but, but paid off. Agreed. I loved this bit uh, that the, the name of the fish was President McKinley. And you're like, well, this is not going to work out well. No. <laughs> uh, we have to talk about the Merrill of it all. Yeah, we we do. We should we should uh, couch this by saying, if you're just joining for the ride here, the mystery this season is the murder of Ben Glenroy, a Paul Rudd type played by Paul Rudd, who is the uh, celebrity uh, superhero star of the Cobra movies about a bro who turns into a cobra. Sounds good. I would watch. Uh, and 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 also kind of wink winks at how dumb Ant-Man has gotten at the same time. They don't really have to lean into it. They just kind of have to say it and move on. It's nice. It's it's nice and it's uh, it's hard to argue with. Yeah, it is. And and Ben Glenroy is an asshole that is that is established pretty clearly throughout much in the way that Tim Kono from season one was not a lovely person to most people he interacted with. Uh, but what happens that we saw in the season finale of season two of Only Murders is Ben Glenroy is on stage in Oliver Putnam's play starring Charles Hayden Savage with uh, all the other characters in the audience. Uh, ben Glenroy dies on stage during the premiere. Or so we thought. It turns out he he seemed to die, then didn't die. Then when everyone went back to the Arconia for Oliver's forced, you know, opening night party, despite the fact they thought their lead had died, uh, Ben Glenroy shows up and is alive, but seemingly unhinged. And then seemingly falls down an elevator shaft and dies in the Arconia, which does justify it for an only murders in the building investigation. That's the setup. Then there's the Merrill of it all. And and I I before we describe Merrill's role in this, I I will say I am not sure the Merrill of it all is a good idea. Ooh, this is a spicy take. Ben Glenroy, I love. And th- there is an element of, you know, these uh, characters, these celebrity characters, Meryl Streep, Paul Rudd, they're not in every episode. And for Ben Glenroy, it makes a lot of sense because the victim is not in every episode of each season. It, it, Tim Kono was not in every episode of season one. They, they're dead. So they come in flashbacks. They come in specific scenes. Meryl is in theory, a main suspect and main cast member this season. And she vanishes for whole episodes at a time that is entirely because she is Meryl and she's probably paid by billing. There there are some things there that just feel very structural where she'll vanish at a pivotal moment. And I will think, well, that either means she's guilty or it means she's just famous and here. I don't know. But it takes a little bit of the wind out of it because I start thinking about why isn't she in this episode? Is she not in this episode as misdirection? Or is she not in this episode because we have to pay Meryl more for every episode her name appears in the opening credits for? And her name will only appear in the opening credits if she appears in the episode. That's really interesting. I hadn't been distracted by that, but I'm sure I will be going forward. I'm so I sorry. Guess in previous seasons of Only Murders in the Building, the killers were not necessary. I'm couching this with some language so we don't spoil, but they were not necessarily in every episode. It's true. You're so, completely correct. Uh, I, it, it felt consistent to me because there is this big cast of characters, both, you know, on at the Arconia and now the cast of the show that they're working on. Um, so I thought that it, I, I haven't been bothered by that. My concern with Meryl, and this is a, uh, maybe not justified is that uh in her tv performances i think that she can edge into camp which works sometimes what was that show big little lies you just took my next words right out of my mouth big little lies i big little lies she was great but it was not 
She only was, murder. She was great if season two of Big Little Lies was supposed to be a parody of season one of Big Little Lies, which in a way, maybe it was. Maybe season one was a parody all along. I, I, I as someone who watched HBO's Big Little Lies, found season one to be pulpy and delicious and captivating. And then when they announced season two with Meryl, uh, I thought, wow, how much pulpier and more delicious and more captivating can you get? And the answer is, that's too much of all of those things. It's, it's, you can ruin a cake by putting too much sugar in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, too much pulp. <laughs> it's an orange juice from Tropicana <laughs> that's just pouring pulp out of the, the it's just, you're just Stuck eating. Stuck in the straw. Oh, you can't get it out. It's clogged. It's upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we reached that point yet, though. So no. that was my concern based on, you know, that show but uh so far i think her her scene work has been really lovely and she and martin short play off each other exceptionally they do and it is a delight to watch them together uh in particular is such an interesting pairing martin short and meryl streep in a kind of mm. romantic uh situation they go on a date in uh episode five that involves going on a ferry on the east river they they have a delightful and delightfully written repartee with each other that is absolutely keeping me from my worst fears there but when when i turn on an episode like episode six and her name does not appear in the opening credits i do think like oh it's not a meryl episode okay interesting interesting i haven't i haven't even thought to look and now i'll oh, I, I will i can't help but look because it changes the pace of how the names appear in the opening credits and one thing I want to call out in the opening credits that is delightful is that Michael Stroll Crichton uh, has been elevated to main cast. He appears after the three main cast members, but before the special guests. And depending on whether they're going to show Paul Rudd and Meryl Streep's names, his name appears in different locations. And that's how I can tell. That's how deep in the weeds I am of the opening credits of Only Murders in the Building. Well, she's great. And I think that Part of the reason that I think this show deserves a third season is not just these outstanding leads, but it's such a good ensemble. It really is. Michael as Howard has started as a a kind of not extra in the building, but like a minor member of the building, a minor uh, ancillary Arconia resident and has consistently just gotten closer based on the fact that he's both a delightful character and a delightful actor to watch and mm-hmm. just is kind of has that uh, electricity uh, on on screen with people like Martin Short and Steve Martin that is rare I, you you just you have to watch and go you know that kind of energy that kind of electricity with each other is not something that every actor has and the fact that he has it with these characters and these actors who've been working together for in you know the case of Martin Short and Steve Martin decades is really uh endearing and impressive and I do, uh, I have worked with him years ago in the theater world. So I am a little biased to say I love this man. But it is mm. so satisfying to see him elevated, not just in in credits, but in kind of role. He is uh, Oliver's assistant this season. And he gets so much more to do. And he has so much more uh, integrated in the, the drama. His uh, boyfriend is the understudy to Paul Rudd's character, which of course makes him a suspect and so there's a lot more for him to do and he uh you can see the writers going we like writing for this person yeah he was particularly good in this in episode six yeah uh, yeah he got some nice juicy moments uh and we love to see it do you feel like you know or have a working theory on who the murderer is even if you don't want to share because we're not spoiling do you have a theory are you asking me, do I have a TV tarot for only yeah. murders in the building? You know, I do. I do. And so uh, I would say at this point, if you don't want any spoilers on some of the plot twists, that's okay. It was nice having you. Podcast at streamageddon.com. But, uh, you know, I am I'm coming around to the opinion that Meryl is a red herring. She's too big. She's giving off way too many clues midway through the season, which is too soon. I am 
worried that we're going to find out it's uh, Paul Rudd's younger, uh, his brother. His brother is Dickie. Uh, Dickie, thank you. Dickie. Dickie, bad name, but again, implicates him because you think I'd be a murderer if I was a Dickie. Uh, I'm worried that they're going to set up Dickie to be the murderer at the end or that he's going to be the collaborator with the murderer, that it's going to be Dickie plus somebody murdered him because initially Dickie seemed really suspicious and then they never ruled him out the way they've ruled out several other characters uh, like um, the delightful Ashley Park, who who is uh, one of the cast members in the show, is also um, on Girls 5 Eva. I am obsessed with Ashley Park, who gets the smallest but most memorable roles in things. She's almost vanished from the show six episodes in at this point. But she was a, a suspect at, at one moment. All of those people who they put a hat on and they're like, this episode, it might be her. This episode, it might be him. They never quite did that with Dickie. And so I'm worried that they're going to come back around and be like, yeah, it was Dickie all along. I don't think that they will because I also suspected Dickie so much at the beginning, but I think he'll come back. There's something say, about Dickie. Uh, I'm going to say something that spoils some content from the previous season, but uh, there was something about the way that Poppy, who was the last killer, uh, was like the overshadowed assistant that if they play. And then in the first season with um, Jan, she was, you know, the second bassoon. I feel like hitting that note again of being like, I'm always in the limelight or I'm never in the spotlight, (laughs) you know, would be a bit of um, uh, too much doing the same thing over and over again. But maybe they would, you know, I mean, the show is formulaic. No, and I actually think it's great you call that out because that that in some ways rules out Dickie to me as well. Uh, And that's good. I don't want it to be Dickie. That would be too easy because we've seen it before. The other thing that they have hinted at ruling out is a female killer because they have made a dialogue reference to the fact that the first two seasons revealed female killers as the the ultimate, you know, culprits. And I, I do think it would be smart to mix it up. It is interesting that sort of hung a hat on that already that to, to indicate that they don't think it'll be a female killer, which means maybe it will be. But I, I do think, okay, well, if you rule out the female suspects and you rule out Dickie, the people who are left are very interesting because it could be somebody like, um, I'm going to call him Topter, like Copter, but that's not right. Robert. Tobert, thank you, like Robert. Uh, Tobert, Tobert, I don't want him to be the killer, but that would be an interesting twist. Yeah, I think I think he seems very suspicious. I think there's more going on with him than we think, but I don't think he's the killer. They also played the Mabel Mora's love interest is a suspicious person, but not actually the killer card last season. So that does feel repetitive. Yeah, and he that they played that the first season with Oscar. That is true. They've played that every season of the show. <laughs> they need to stop playing that card now, please. So I don't think no. it's Tobert either. Who who does that leave us with? Maybe maybe Cinda Canning, but I think that's too similar to Poppy. I don't think Cinda Canning is a murderer. I think Cinda Canning is just a narcissist. I love that for her. Who does that leave us with? Who is left unless they're going to resurrect Nathan Lane's character from prison or something? That would be a fun twist. Yeah, I mean, I w- we must be ignoring someone. I'm not sure who it could be. And I like that I don't have a a strong working theory. I also have a possible, like, this is way out there, but I think what if Ben Glenroy isn't dead? They already did that. They did that in episode two when he wasn't dead. Do you think they could pull that off again? Yeah. All right, maybe I- they could pull that off again. I mean, I don't, I think that there's some, like, I'm sure that there will be a murder that's solved, but I do think there's something with him. I think he may have been speaking to himself on that video that they have of uh, in the dressing room where it seems like he's talking to someone. Um, I, I think that he's talking to himself and beating himself up. Um, mm. But I, uh, yeah, I don't know interesting theory i like it i like the you know the twistiness of it even if i don't want that to be the answer because it's a little too meta yeah i mean it could be jonathan like we just ruled him out though didn't we just rule him out i mean we think he didn't do it but we think we ruled him out it's true we don't really know 
I don't know. What about the stage manager? It's still to be KT, the stage manager. I feel like they gave her a good moment in episode six to redeem her theoretically. I wonder about the producers, in particular, the weird sort of oh, yeah. Roth-inspired mother-son They're definitely dynamic. the Roths. Yeah. Um, I kind of like how bold that is to I, go for the Roths. Oh, my God. I, I do, too. If you're not in the, the New York theater scene, the mother-son, mildly incestuous, but it's okay because he's gay producers of the Oliver Putnam play, they, they very much mirror a, a real producer uh, situation in New York, and it would be fun. They've dropped off a bit in the last few episodes, but that doesn't mean that they are not about to come roaring back as plot elements. I, I could absolutely believe that we find out that this kind of eccentric weirdo man who is producing this play is actually the killer and is actually harboring an inner an inner life we have not really recognized yet, you know? Yeah, that seems very only murders to me. I think it's him. That's my working theory now. Well, there you have it. That is our, our prediction, our official joint prediction. For the resolution of season three of Only Murders in the Building, we will revisit that when the season eventually ends. Uh, that season ends on October 3rd, so we will revisit that sometime in October, Diane. Can't wait. Until then, we can't wait to hear from you, dear listener. The email address is podcast at streamageddon.com. And as always, Dan and I want to be sure that you keep, keep streaming. streaming. This is a spicy take.